We're not different because we want to be. It's just a part of how we think and who we are. And instead of being ostracized for it, we want to be able to celebrate that. So that podcast is like a lighthouse. It's a beacon for all of us who've always felt different and like we didn't belong somewhere. And this was a place where they can belong because of their differences. And it's just something that I think really needs to happen more to just have those spaces where people are celebrated for what they otherwise ostracized for. Are you ready to tap in to your power within so that your business can reach its truest potential? Hi, I'm Candace Haza, and I help business entrepreneurs access their inner GPS so that their business can grow and thrive. You are here to serve and to create an impact in this world. Welcome to the Intuitive Business Podcast. Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Intuitive Business Podcast. And I have this really special guest today. I had goosebumps all over as I was getting ready because my friend from London, May Kay, is going to be on the podcast today. So here we go. I'm going to introduce her and we're going to get started. May Kay Sang is the founder of the Sustainable Visibility Movement podcast, guesting strategist, and host of the Quiet Rebels podcast. She helps underestimated and underrepresented women in business to be consensually seen as they become more visible to share their message so that they can grow their impact-fueled business on their terms for the long haul. Welcome, May Kay. Hello, my lovely. Oh my goodness. It's such a pleasure to see you again. We always have such amazing conversations, including in the green room. We're like, oh my goodness, we have to hit record because all the gems are right here. <laughs> so oh, thank I, you so much for having me. <laughs> thank you again. I Again, I am like, I don't know if you could see, I am full on goosebumps. Meike does this to me every single time. So Meike, I want to start with your bio a little bit because you mm-hmm. make some really great statements about sustainable visibility. So first, can you tell us what you think prevents us from being visible? So the reason why that movement, I literally, I wasn't actively trying to like find it. It's just something that literally, I I felt like I literally gave birth to it um, last year in 2020. And the reason why it really came about is because when I when I was really paying attention to the conversations that were happening publicly and privately around the topic of visibility, there was a lot of fear around it. And there was a lot of forceful pushing with blunt force aggression a lot of the time. And I really noticed as leaders, supposedly, who were talking about visibility, when they were talking about it, it was very go, go, go. And I almost found it very dismissive a lot of the time when someone shared a genuine concern about being seen they're like oh it's just a mindset block and on one hand maybe it could be but just that alone it feels very dismissive to me and as someone who's training right now in trauma sensitive leadership I realize that oh that's actually very harmful because if someone pushes through that that's genuine fear of being seen then not only can they sabotage themselves on their way to get there, but also if they do it and suddenly they are seen before they are ready enough, then they start retreating and then they literally want to hide again. 
So I really wanted to expand the conversation a lot more around this awareness of actually developing your sense of safety and expanding that first before we implement the strategy. Because a lot of the time, it's very much strategy first and a safe, safety is just an afterthought or it's not even a thought at all. So that's why I feel that with this whole you know, visibility conversation, I really wanted to expand it or shift it even with this focus of, you know, compassion for oneself as to why we may be afraid to be visible and how that is real, it's valid. And there's something that we can do with that. So that way we can show up in a way that's consistent, but also keeps us feeling safe. I love what you said so much about, we often say it's a mindset block. So we go to strategy, but we don't think about safety and possible trauma. So in the green room, we were talking a little bit about, you're going to start a really committed adventure. And so can you talk about the full circle moment of what you're doing and why? Absolutely. So before I ventured into the world of online business at the age of 22, before that, I was actually studying for a degree in psychology. And so I did graduate from my university at the time, but I believe it was the way that I was taught as well as the fact that I did experience several accounts of sexual abuse during my university years that I didn't feel that I had the capacity to really pursue it. And so I almost felt like I put that on the back burner and I never thought that it would come back to the front. And what I started to notice in every iteration of my business, because I started off in holistic health coaching, I have a certification in holistic health coaching. And then it just kind of, it kept evolving because I realized I didn't ever want to purely be a weight loss coach. I actually wanted to focus on emotional eating and then it turned into confidence coaching and then it turned into video marketing <laughs> and then it turned into copywriting, podcast guesting, now sustainable visibility. And I realized that the common thread between all of it is helping people through the thing that's stopping them from truly expressing who they are in a way that they can be really proud of it and that they can like, no longer live under a lie mm -hmm. or live hidden even. And I really started to notice that. And my psychology managed to kind of like weave itself into it, into my coaching style anyway, because my clients, bless them, they have said to me that while I'm coaching and mentoring them, they can feel that therapeutic aura that often comes in just from the way that I speak and how I hold space. And speaking of holding space, I... I really appreciate it that there's been a lot more of a conscious effort for people to hold space for others. Now, when someone says that they can, that, oh, this is a safe space, I think that really needs to be very properly done because you can say it's a safe space, but is it really? Hmm. And I've just like been going over this in my head over and over again because someone asked me like, oh, but a safe space isn't guaranteed. And, I'm, and I said, yes, that's absolutely true. That you can't guarantee a safe space, but what you can do is continually uphold the safety in these spaces and inform everybody in the space how to do it for themselves and for each other. I believe that can be a very core missing ingredient to truly create a safe space. And on top of that, I realized I don't just want to hold a truly safe space for my clients. I want to do something with the things that they share in those safe spaces mm. because I'm currently not qualified to take people beyond that. 
I'm qualified as a coach, absolutely. But there are some lines that I cannot ethically cross and I shouldn't cross until I'm qualified. And so what's really, oh, this just feels such a full circle moment because as I shared with you in the green room, I've actually made a decision to study to become a psychotherapeutic counsellor. Mm. So this is a beautiful additional layer to the work that I'm currently doing. So as well as holding those truly safe spaces through a trauma-sensitive lens, because I'm also being certified in that as well this year, I also want to be able to provide the option to my clients, if they want to, to actually have a private space with me where I can actually work through with them the the things that they share in that, that is not ethical to do in a coaching capacity, but it is ethical to like transfer into a therapeutic counseling capacity. So I just feel like it's gone very full circle because I wanted to be a psychologist when I was younger. And while I'm not quite going to be a clinical psychologist and that's not quite the same goal anymore, I just wanted to think long-term, what do I really love doing? And I really love helping people understand themselves and help them understand others around them and just really finding that space for themselves to tap into that pure self-expression and the even more big circle thing is the fact that this course that I will be studying under for my advanced diploma is the fact that the venue that I will be training at is actually my old university so (laughs) I just feel that it's just that there's some like guidance there I feel like I feel like it was meant to happen that way What I say about those moments, they're moments of woo, the windows of opportunity. When you see something in life that comes, like she's saying, and since we're on the intuitive business podcast, one of the things that when, when I'm not quite sure if I'm doing the right thing or making the right investment of time or money, like this is going to be a big investment of your time and money. If something gives you a window that is either familiar or like you're repeat, like something like going to university, coming back to university. That's just a gentle acknowledgement that you're on the right path in the intuitive world, right? So thank you for sharing that. You mentioned trauma and safe space. And so um, Mekhi and I talked about this in the green room before that I wanted to create a safe space for Mekhi. And so what we said is anything that she'd be uncomfortable sharing, we could either edit out or just you know, I just want her to feel really, really safe. So Mayke, let's utilize you as the beautiful example of visibility and becoming all of who you really were meant to be. This is a podcast. So you can't see Mayke and she's of Asian descent. We talked about this before. And I know you had some struggles in the past with becoming fully who you are. And right now, how you're embracing all of who you're yet meant to be. Oh, I'm wondering where to start with this. There's so many ways to kind of like enter this conversation. So let me start off with my my heritage. So I am British-born Hong Konger. So my parents are from Hong Kong. I'm first generation, you know, immigrant, I suppose, uh, in the in the UK. And I actually lost a lot of my heritage growing up because of the fact that my parents were actually, I didn't know this at the time, I actually only found this out pretty recently, that my parents made the conscious decision to not teach us very much about our our mother tongue and very much about heritage in general. And the reason why is because we grew up in a primarily Caucasian 
area in the countryside of the UK. And because we already look different, you can tell from the from our, the color of our hair and you know our our skin, you can tell that we were different, basically. And when my stepmom actually, she asked my my dad, "Oh, like how come you never taught Meili and Meike about <laughs> you know uh, Chinese?" And then he said, "Well, because they already look different, and we didn't want." Anybody to have any other reason to treat them differently if they sounded different as well. So they were already afraid of us being judged and being bullied for it. And my sister and I, we did get bullied, but actually not at this school. We actually got bullied a lot more when we actually moved to London, which was a very interesting side effect because you'd think that the more culturally diverse a place is, the more accepting they can be of it. But that wasn't the case for us, and so a lot of the time growing up, we felt that we really had to kind of hide that and kind of remove as much of ourselves in order to try and fit in.、Mm. And that was really difficult because I never fit in anyway, and that's not just because of my heritage, but because of how I thought about things. And there's a reason why I called my podcast "The Quiet Rebels." It's because We're not different because we want to be. It's just a part of how we think and who we are. And instead of being ostracized for it, we want to be able to celebrate that. So that podcast is is like a lighthouse. It's a beacon for all of us who've always felt different and like we didn't belong somewhere. And this was a place where they can belong because of their differences. And it's just. Something that I think really needs to happen more to just have those spaces where people are celebrated for what they otherwise ostracized for. And as we're speaking right now, Candice, we are in the middle of June, and this is Pride Month as well. So this is some, this is public knowledge, but it's not something that you would otherwise know unless you really got to know me, because it's private information, and I only came out fully in September 2020, so it's not that long ago. Oh, and it's still in adjustments. Realize that. Congratulations.、Yes. We've talked about this before, so thank you so much. And continue.、Yeah. I've been slowly coming out to my family over the course of ten years because this is our eleventh year together with、um, my partner and I. And I think on our tenth anniversary in September, we just wanted to be fully out like, with the people who really mattered to us, which meant our parents because our siblings knew. Near the beginning, because we didn't want to hide who we were from, because you know, if you have siblings, you often have a very close relationship with them. Not everybody does, but in our case, we do, and we didn't want to hide that. But with our parents, it was a completely different story. <laughs> When I came out, it honestly felt like a breath of fresh air because I finally felt like I wasn't hiding anymore, and I didn't have to live in fear of being rejected from the people who I cared about the most. And while I say that, I say that with full understanding that this is a positive outcome for me, and I also know that there are many people who will take more time to come out if ever, and not everybody has that celebratory welcome as I do.、Hmm. And the reason why I really want to touch on that is because visibility is all about being seen. So for those of us. Who have these additional layers on top of our business, personal layers like perhaps our sexual orientation. 
it takes a lot more of a conscious effort to, I don't say put yourself out there. I say place yourself out there because I feel it's a lot more gentler. <laughs> I think it takes a lot more conscious effort to place ourselves out there because of the fear of rejection from complete strangers, let alone our family, friends, and loved ones. And that's what this whole conversation is really about, sustainable visibility. How much of yourself will you allow to be seen? And is there work that you can or want to do to kind of like expand that slowly but surely over time where you feel sick, like continuously safe to keep stepping and moving forward and expanding your safety zone? Wow. What you just said is so powerful. How much of yourself are you willing, I think you said it, be seen? What work can you do on yourself? Those are powerful, powerful words. So with all that being said, and since we're talking about sustainable visibility and embracing all of who you are, can you help me to understand and help the audience to understand how you identify and what that means to you? The acronym used to be LGBT, and it's extended as more and more identities have come to the surface. And it's literally only a few weeks ago from the time of this recording that I finally saw my identity in that acronym. So the whole acronym is LGBTQIA+. And I stopped just before P because I've known it to be for at least the last year or so LGBTQIA+. And that was it. But I saw the P and I literally, I did not realize how much it meant to me to see that P there because what the P stands for is that you're either poly, like polysexual, I believe it is. The P that I identify with, which is something that I really hone in on is pansexuality. And I didn't identify with that at all because I actually didn't even know, know that it existed until I was, I think... This conversation came up during a holiday in Japan when I was with some friends and one of them, when I was describing my relationship and how I felt, one of my friends, he was like, oh, that's pansexuality. And I was like, what, what now? <laughs> it's a thing. And then when I looked up the definition, how it resonated with me, it's just, it just blew my mind because I, I didn't understand why it never sit right with me to call myself bisexual or being lesbian, being gay. I have nothing against it, absolutely. I have some wonderful, dear friends who identify that way. And I couldn't understand why I it didn't feel right for me. And I've, I'm working with a therapist right now. And from these conversations that we've had, there was no shame attached to them whatsoever. It just didn't feel like something that I felt represented myself. But when I looked into pansexuality, the very loose definition of what it is and why it resonates with me is that you love the person because of who they are as a person to you and not just because of their gender or if they're non-gender conforming as well, non-binary. So I had talked about this with my partner as well because when she shared with a friend of hers that she's in a same-sex relationship with me, her friend messaged her and said, oh, it's Pride Month. Aren't you, aren't you going to the parade? Aren't you celebrating? And then my partner was like, um, no. And then it made us feel like we weren't being supportive of the people. Mm. And it was a huge, 
uh, we had to have a very big conversation about this because we were like, oh my goodness, are we are we ashamed? Are we hiding? And and then it was like, no, it's not that at all. We're quite private people when it comes to our relationship. Mm-hmm. And it took us a long time to just be okay with being with each other mm-hmm. and being accepted for that. And maybe in the future, we might. But the reason why I'm sharing this openly with you right now is because this is my version of supporting pride by saying that I'm a part of it. It's like it says an activist. There are some people who will go to the protests and protest loudly. And some people will quietly protest. And I think we're definitely the quiet protesters in this case because of how private we are. And we're very introverted as well. So it makes sense for us, at least in this stage of life. It may change, it may not. But this is how we have become comfortable with ourselves, especially in a culture that doesn't celebrate this. (laughs) It's kind of like something that's, known but it's hidden and it's not really talked about so you can imagine the conversations i have with my parents about getting married and it's of course very new territory for them and i'm very grateful that my mom is very on board and my dad i think he's i'm very glad that he's able to set aside his own expectations of who he thinks i should be with and to be able to prioritize my happiness over his expectations and that's all Mm. i can ever ask for Whoa. And prioritize (laughs) your happiness over his expectations. Wow. Yeah. That's love. Yeah. It is. And that's all I could ever ask for from my parents. Anything else beyond that is a bonus. Like if there's a true celebration, the day that we get engaged and the day that we get married, that's beautiful. When you were talking about, gee, I don't celebrate, like, or am I being supportive? And then all of a sudden, you know, I was just, my heart was just saying, well, she is the quiet rebel. (laughs) (laughs) And so that made so much sense and so much beauty in that. Any um, wedding plans are you thinking about when you want to get married? Yeah, we, um, we have a very... We have a flexible timeline, let's just say that. I imagine that we would get engaged in the next year or so and then married within the next three to five years. We're not really in a rush because we've been together for 10 years and we already live together. So it's like we're already married. Like (laughs) she calls me her wife anyway. (laughs) So yeah, we're pretty much married. It's just without the ring and the certificate and ceremony. You know, I, I don't know that this is an appropriate question and I hope it makes you feel safe, but since it is Pride Month, how does your partner identify, may I ask? You know, I think she honestly doesn't think so much about labels mm-hmm. or identities very much. It, to her, what I've always appreciated about her is that she's so confident in who she is that she doesn't ever have to explain herself, I guess. When I asked her how she felt around these identities across the LGBTQIA plus spectrum, I believe that pansexuality probably fits her the most. Mm-hmm. It's just because we love each other as we are, for all we are, and <sighs> gender is not even a thing that comes to mind for us. Mm, I love that. You know, 
this kind of brings this full circle moment about visibility. Do you think because you finally decided, and I shouldn't say finally decided, but I'm kind of paraphrasing your words, that you decided to come out with your family and that you decided to own who you are and love who you want to love, which was the person inside your partner. Do you think that it became easier once you totally became free about who you are and all the parts of you? Absolutely. You know, a part of me almost felt like a fraud, actually, when I was talking about, you know, owning your voice, being who you are. Mm -hmm. And I was holding on to that fear of judgment when I came out. I felt like I can't really embody my own work so how can I ask anyone else to do it until I'm truly honest with myself? Oh, I just want to take a pause and say that again. I can't expect anybody to move forward or to change if I'm not willing to do it myself. Wow. Yeah, I, I've known that for a long time. And I didn't come out just so that I could do that. <laughs> you know, no. It had to be a, an extremely conscious decision to do that. Because my partner and I, I told her that, that I wanted to, but I couldn't ask of this of her as well, because this affects her as well. Because me coming out in public without us telling our family means that they would find out through the grapevine of social media, then they would question us and they would already know it, you know? And then for my family to find out that way, I don't think they deserve that. So that's why my partner and I, we had to come to a very united decision of when to say it. And our 10 year anniversary seemed to be the milestone that felt right to start. And ever since then, ever since it took, it took up a lot of capacity, I'll tell you, because I think the episode aired in October, 2020 and it wiped me out for like a month <laughs> because I was like, oh my God, such a personal thing has been shared. And I also want to point out the fact that you can be true to who you are and you can also protect the people that you care about and still be visible because have you noticed, I've never shared her name. I haven't shared many details about her apart from the fact that she's my partner and how she might identify mostly with being pansexual, but I will give no detail of who she is and I can still be visible, but also protect her because another thing about safety is not necessarily just about ourselves, but also about the people who may be involved in our lives and in those big decisions and those big shifts. And that's a safety consideration that I always have for my family. Before I post any pictures, I always ask for their consent. I say, look, like I, they know that I'm a public figure. And even though I don't have millions of followers, that doesn't matter. What matters it, is the fact that they need to feel comfortable with that. And if they don't, then I don't post it. Mm -hmm. And I want that degree of care and consideration. And for everybody who's listening, who resonates with this, to also have that 
degree of care and consideration for anyone who may be involved in their own visibility. So I don't share my family's faces very often. They're not in my podcast. They're not in my blogs and or emails very much. I don't give away very much identifying information. And it's not because I'm ashamed of them. Absolutely not. Like I love them to bits. But it's for their the protection of their privacy because they're very private people. And Chinese people, Hong Kongese people, we tend to be, without stereotyping, generally we're very private. Mm-hmm. And so for me to be very public with something so personal, it almost goes against my heritage, which is why visibility, I understand that there are so many layers to it that can impact it. It's not just because we can't implement a strategy. <laughs> it's because there's so much things that we need to honor and to respect and to take into account before we even consider making the move. That's so beautiful that you give your family that consideration as well. You said something, and I just gently want to go back to it. You said that once you did come out on your 10th year anniversary, that it wiped you out for a month. And mm. then that so I start getting curious about thinking about energy because this is the intuitive business podcast. I wonder what type of energy it took for 10 years to keep it energetically a secret, meaning you didn't share it, but you were living a life. I wonder if somehow you integrated during that month of completely more of who you are, because that was a huge piece. Cause you, you've said multiple times how much you love and respect your family and to be able to keep like one of your most, I mean, I imagine your partner is a very big part of your life and a very big part of your heart and um, your decisions and your future. And so I'm just curious about that. What energy do you think it must have been taken to stay hidden? And the reason I'm asking this question is because somebody could bump into this podcast and be sitting there with these same challenges on their lap and they don't know what to do Mm. you know when you when you're actively hiding that takes up a lot of capacity in itself because there's so much fear around being found out Mm. and I have had a situation in my past before where my family have found out a very personal detail about myself and I was bombarded with messages and calls and my family crying and it's and it and it wiped me out a lot because they found out this detail and they were saying things like oh why didn't you tell us don't you love us and and it's got nothing to do that I, I didn't trust them or anything like that is because it was something that I didn't even come to terms with yet. I was still working through it and then someone found out and then it went through the grapevine. And I think a part of me stored that as a data point to go back to so that when I actively made a decision for them to find out something because I tell them, I reserved a lot of energy to anticipate for that to happen again. And because it didn't happen this time, all of my energy was still fueling this anticipation that it took me away from the thing that I didn't actually need to anticipate for because I, uh, my partner and I, we had slowly but surely told different family members, the big kahunas, let's just say, the big kahunas with the parents, but we had kind of slowly gained more and more allies and supporters of our partnership 
through our siblings, our cousins, our friends. And because we had so much support, we felt like we had enough to finally tell our parents. But I think that's also a huge reason why, because we had a lot more allies this time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel that so much of the energy was never used. <laughs> it's kind of like, um, I don't know, if you went to a gas station, a petrol station, and then you filled up 10 extra tanks because you thought you'd need it one day, but then your car is actually running fine <laughs> and it actually doesn't need all those extra tanks. And you're like, oh, I kind of spent unnecessary money <laughs> for all these extra tanks. But in this case, instead of money, it's energy like stored and, you and know it didn't what? have to be used. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to overstep your words. But I was just thinking when you use the analogy of 10 gas tanks full and if your car's running just fine and you still have nine sitting in your garage, those nine containers of fear and energy could literally explode. Mm, yeah. <laughs> I just felt that that was an interesting analogy because for those people who are sitting here listening today and thinking, I've kept this secret for 10 years, how will they know or how can you help them to give some thought processes or or ways to make sure that it feels all right for them to maybe come out with their parents? Well, this one's a really tough question and it's absolutely not a step-by-step thing because it's really something that you need to find peace within yourself for first and to be prepared for whichever outcome happens. And because I literally prepared for the worst it actually turned out fine nothing exploded it's just excess energy that I can bring back to myself now (laughs) and disperse like using the quote-unquote car i.e me um you know over the course of however it's meant to so it's definitely not a decision to take lightly Mm -hmm. I every time I told someone whether it's a friend or a family member, like some, like my cousins, for example, I'm quite close to my cousins. Every time I did, I had to prepare myself just in case they suddenly didn't want anything to do with me anymore. I had to prepare myself every single time. And that was terrifying every time to kind of see their reaction. I literally winced and kind of like closed my eyes and, my, my body was like contracting, like almost as if I was ready to get to be hurt, you know, bracing. That's what it was. I was bracing myself every time. So no one's story is the same at all. I can't give direct advice on how to do it. I can only share what I've done. And what I did do again, I had to ensure that I had enough support mm-hmm to make it through just in case there was someone who no longer wants to be a part of my life because of this one fact that they learn about me. Hmm. Wow. And did you ever have anybody reject you during this process of sharing? There was no direct rejection. No. Mm -hmm. There, there's one person who means a lot to me and it took him, is still taking him time mm-hmm. to come to terms with it, but that's okay mm-hmm. because he still loves me mm-hmm. and 
again, that's all I can ask for. Mm-hmm. The reason I ask that question is how many times in our lives do we play through a scenario thinking, oh, if I share this, and it, it could be a situation about our sexual orientation. Or for me, I know it might sound weird, but I was embarrassed about being intuitive. I stayed hidden for 30 three years and then another 15 professionally because I was afraid people wouldn't that they would think I was you know, like the cuckoo bird in the family or something and I was embarrassed and I still don't tell everybody and I'm coming out with a, a book in a, September 15th so I guess if there's any outstanding people I might need to tell them sooner or later <laughs> right and, mm. and uh you know get rid of my gas tank sitting in the garage my personal gas tank so I, I asked you that question very intentionally because if somebody's out there thinking I, I know I'm gonna be rejected by everybody and you know she was just fortunate and you know that scenario that we're playing through I really mm. believe in my heart that the people that are in our lives, if they truly love us, they would love all parts of us, or they might not love us at all. For, you know what I'm saying? Like it's yeah, I do. And there is something that I also want to share as well around this, this kind of like this idea of having like this much anticipation. I believe that I I know that I put a hundred percent of my energy into preventing a rupture. <laughs> basically. So I spent so much time being careful. Like it, it, when I really think back on it, it, it makes me actually really sad that we'd be happily holding hands one minute and then suddenly we see someone new and then we just like whipped our hands into our pockets, you know, so we're just walking side by side as friends because that's how we masqueraded, you know, our relationship for so long. It was like, oh, we had to be like the best friends and so not holding hands and all those things. Uh, that makes me so sad now I say that out loud. And there was so much energy that was trying to prevent the rupture. And now what I do for myself and also what I share with my clients who I work with on sustainable visibility for, I talk about distributing their energy into two spaces, like 50% to prevent the rupture and the other 50% to work on your repair plan, meaning that you can do whatever you can to prevent the bad thing from happening but if it happened, imagine if you had no repair plan, like, oh crap, you've got nothing. You, you don't know what to do. Suddenly you're scurrying around and you just feel very unguided and very lost. And so that's why I help them to actually create a repair plan. But okay, if that happened, if that worst case scenario happened, how can you, what steps can you take for yourself to get through it? So that way they're not just stuck when it happens. It's like, okay, I'm, this has happened, but I'm not stuck in this mud. I can wade through this and I can like grab the vine nearby and pull myself out of this mess. So that's what I would actually recommend as well, that it, it takes time to come to a decision like this. And so you can do what you can to kind of like preserve yourself mm-hmm. until you're ready, if you're ever ready, And also, just in case something happens prematurely and you're found out before you're ready, make sure that you have created a plan for yourself. You know who you can be supported by. You know how you can support yourself. You know which resources that you can go to. Like, you have a plan. 
So that can help give you an additional layer of safety that you otherwise wouldn't have if you put all of your energy into just preventing disruption in the first place. Mm. Wow. There's so many things in there. (laughs) There's so, so many beautiful things. What are three components of a repair plan? I heard you say a couple. Make sure that you have like safe people around you that you know that support you already. What are some other things that they could make sure because maybe somebody needs a safe plan right now? I, again, I don't exactly have this three-step plan. (laughs) Um, But what I, again, what I can share is what I've done. So I knew that I had to be able to pinpoint who I could go to to call up if I needed help. I also needed to take into account where I could live if I was kicked out of the house. So I already had a plan with my sister Hmm. um, because when I told her, I had to ask her very earnestly. I said, hey, sis, if something ever happened and me and insert partner's name um, needed a place to go, for a little while could we stay with you until we until we you know had the money to like um rent out a place for mm-hmm. ourselves would it be all right to kind of come here first and then she was like of course mm-hmm. so i had to make sure that my base shelter needs <laughs> were covered mm-hmm. and also my emotional needs so mm-hmm. as well as my because I, I don't always rely on my loved ones for my emotional needs. I also need to rely on myself. So I have my journaling. I have my, you know, certain soundtracks that I listen to. I have my cats. They are very therapeutic. <laughs> um, and also, I also work with a therapist. I took notes on everything that she was saying because... I felt like that was really significant information for somebody who needs to feel safe. And these are pretty simple, but yet very profound. And one of the things that I believe was so beautiful is how she said, I needed to rely on myself. When May Kay was saying, I need to rely on myself. I had journaling, specific soundtracks and music that reset who you are energetically, like your feelings, right? And your cats as well. So I just loved all that. I also wanted to just talk about love for a moment because there's something so gentle in May Kay. And even the last time that, one of the last times that we met, there literally was like this purple light. Her heart was so open when she was talking that this like light beam came into the video and we were thinking it was the light at first, but then, or I was thinking it was her light or a prism. And she said, Oh no, that just happens to me when (laughs) my heart opens is there's this purple light and it was visible to me. It wasn't in my etherical mind. It literally was on camera. And I wanted to talk about being in love. And when we finally find that person that's right for us, and it would touch my heart when I just imagined you and your partner walking down the street, like maybe looking at flowers or something that you love. And then all of a sudden seeing somebody and having to retract that energy, literally retract that connection. And as an intuitive and, and doing intuitive readings, I can't imagine 
like stopping the reading, I lose the thread. And so you almost are like coming in and out of love multiple times a day, yeah. like, like not being able to be free in the flow of the moment of love. And it just, it almost made me cry because mm. I think love is such a precious gift. And I don't think it's always easy to find that partner that's compatible to be able to share love in those moments and want to hold hands when we're walking down the street and, or to reach over and give a sweet little kiss to each other and having to restrict that emotion. I just, I can't imagine that. Yeah. I didn't realize how, how painful it was to, as, as to use your words, um, to retract that love. And I didn't make that connection until you, until you said it. And it's true that we had, dipping in and out of being a couple and being the best friends you know having that putting on that facade um you know in front of our families who didn't know at the time and it is what we had to do in order to feel safe because mm -hmm. we were together when we were teenagers like when we were like late teenagers and when you're at that age, most people don't have the, the financial support to have their own places. They normally, you know, live with their parents. And so, of course, we had to take those precautions um, in order for us to feel like we even had a home to go to. Mm -hmm. And it was tough. Um, and if anything, the, the, the beautiful thing about it, though, is the fact that we aren't like most conventional couples who get to, most of the time they get to explore whether they're really compatible and all that stuff. But the fact that we were willing to hide it and go through it together built up a very unique resilience that we had as a couple where we faced a lot more adversity than quote unquote the average couple and that's what's made this so rewarding to finally celebrate that out in the open. And we're not a huge PDA, uh, public display of affection people because we're pretty private. <laughs> um, so holding hands is like the most we do, like pretty much <laughs> in, in public. But it's a very, very sweet thing. And um, I think of all of the things that make her so worth it to be with. And I'm like totally gushing because like she's the love of my life. And what I love so much about her is the degree of care and consideration. Like for example, she, I think at the time of this recording two days ago, it was my two year anniversary for my podcast. And she came home with bubble tea and I absolutely love bubble tea. <laughs> it's too. wonderful. Yes, it's wonderful. Like, and that's a real treat in our house, right? <laughs> Especially when we get a certain brand, it's like, oh, you've got the good stuff. Um, and then I was like, oh, what's the occasion? And she was like, it's your podcast anniversary, silly. And I was like, like I've, I've already celebrated that. Yes, like, you know, well, well, I didn't really celebrate it, to be honest. Like I, I had, you know, I had a celeb celebratory post that I did on Instagram and Facebook, sure. But other than that, I actually didn't do that much beyond that to celebrate, apart from just have a moment to myself. I'm like, hmm thank you me like to do this but then she kind of like made it a bit more concrete and then i jokingly said to her, said to her like, oh did you 
you saw my post on Instagram, didn't you? <laughs> and then she looked at me, she's like, um, no. And then she whipped out her phone and then she showed me that she made it an event in her calendar and she like sets it up on annually. So like it's an annual reminder for her when it's my podcast anniversary, when it's my business anniversary, which is the 1st of June, because I left um, my last job uh, June 1st, uh, 2018. So it's been over three years now, which is wonderful. And so she makes a note of all of these little things and big things. And I don't think that, like, I, I, I honestly say to myself, I say like, wow, what did I do to deserve you? <laughs> because it's someone like that who makes you feel special, not just in the big moments, but in the little moments and the everyday things are fun. Like just doing hanging up the laundry is fun <laughs> to make it a game. She calls me the, the sock fairy because I'm absolutely <laughs> fantastic at pairing socks together. <laughs> oh my God. I hate that. Like I have literal bags of socks. I usually end up going and buying new ones. Cause I, I, I mean, we have like probably five bags of socks. It's okay. So, okay. Okay. Tell you what. Um, the next time sock I, fairy, here we come. Well, well, yeah. I, like, you know, when I'm transporting myself over to your side of the world, um, whip out those five bags of socks, which probably would have grown by the, by the time I see you. Um, <laughs> and I will spend the day <laughs> purring up your sock. Like you can have a cup of tea sitting on the sofa and everything. And I'll be, and I'll be like talking with you with my tea on the side, <laughs> but I will be pairing those socks. Okay. <laughs> Oh my gosh. I know I'm in love. That's so beautiful. Sock pairing and a sock fairy is so needed in my life. <laughs> oh, Mayke, one of the things that you just mentioned is how honored you were by your soon to be wife someday. And I wanted to also honor the podcast that she celebrated. And I wanted to just take a few moments to talk about the podcast of the quiet rebels. So we've determined that there's the quiet and the rebel that lives inside of you. That's so beautiful. And so I just want to go to the podcast for a moment because it is a way of getting your voice heard podcasts. And so can you just tell us a little bit about podcast for a moment why you chose this as a visibility method for mm. you yes absolutely and before I do I do want to say that I won't be calling my partner my wife actually oh I'm so sorry that oh I no, 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 no 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 like um it's actually uh <laughs> it's actually a thing that we came up with when we were because we're not having the bridesmaids and the groomsmen because obviously she's she's not a man but we would have our best people up there we say <laughs> like we'll have our best people by our sides but i'm gonna call her like at least on the wedding day uh, because on the wedding day is normally groom right but i'm gonna right. call her my shroom <laughs> my, yeah my my she my she group <laughs> yeah and also because we have a little um you know the super mario um icon of the red mushroom right mm -hmm. um so she got a toy for me on my 18th birthday of that mushroom with like a little plushie and we called it shroomy so it's a cute <laughs> little thing because we love playing mario together as well we used to play mario all the time still do uh, and yeah, so we, we call it shroomy. So I thought it's cute. Like I, I understand that shrooms also means like magic mushrooms. I do acknowledge that, but we don't take those though. <laughs> and no, no judgment to anyone who does um in a safe manner, of course. But yeah, I yeah, that's why I'm calling them a shroom. <laughs> That's beautiful. I'm going to have to really learn a whole new linguistical patterning about, I know when I, somebody I applied for a podcast and it was the first time I'm like, 
I don't know. I'm a pronoun. Like I didn't know what that meant. Like I really need to do uh, better, and I'm trying my best to. Oh no, that's like be- that. I-, I can appreciate where that came from because first of all, you acknowledged that she's a female partner, so you said wife. So that's already a step. Oh, and um, it's just my personal because I make up words so, <laughs> as well. So <laughs> um, in this case, yes, yeah, she's my shroom. Um, but thank you for acknowledging that. And by the way, in your application to be on this podcast, um, you also included the pronouns question. So yeah. I think that's already a step forward. Just stay open with your heart. Try your best to learn and to understand where somebody else is coming from. Not to be judgmental because we never know what's going to come into our lives and you know who our children are going to be or our nieces or our nephews or our grandchildren right so staying open to all of the experiences that are out there i think is such a, a beautiful gift to to give and to receive mm. so you do have some gifts and so if you're out there and you want to become more visible on podcasts quick some tidbits and some ways to help people with that as well Yes, absolutely. And to answer your original question as to why I chose podcasting. So I do podcasting in two ways, like one hosting my own and also like right now, guesting on another person's podcast. And the reason why I decided to take this particular visibility strategy is because I felt that it was easier for me to have a no holds barred way of expressing myself because I originally actually had a YouTube channel. It's actually still available so you can watch some very old videos of things that I no longer do anymore. But um, there was so much what I like to call head trash when I was recording those videos because I I was so self-conscious about how I looked. Like, is my makeup okay? Is my hair okay? And, And like, I'm not most people don't clock on. I, either they don't clock on or they don't notice it until I say it. And I'm about to say it, so you may notice it now. <laughs> but I also have a, a little bit of a lisp as well. And so when I was editing my own videos, I could see it, you know, full throttle. And it made me very self-conscious. And the asymmetry of my face and how I have certain scars on my face that most people don't notice again, but I do um, because I had an accident when I was 12 and I scraped my face when I landed on my face when I was piggybacking uh, one of my friend's little brothers. So I'm very self-conscious of all of that. And all of that head trash made me feel very, it was very hard to express what I really wanted to say. So podcasting, because you're not really on camera, like when you're on guest interviews like this, yeah, I don't mind having the face-to-face conversation, but ultimately it's an audio platform, right? Mm-hmm. And that just felt a lot safer for me to talk and express myself without having too much to worry about. And also when you hear someone first before you see them, I feel that it almost bypasses the bias <laughs> mm-hmm. and so that's the reason why I chose this and having my own platform meant that I get to curate the content that I have on it that I want to kind of like have in the world and also being on other people's podcasts also not only does it help you to grow your own podcast but it helps you to 
have very dynamic, intimate conversations with people. And it's a very beautiful way to develop partnerships and relationships because Candace and I, like, we're friends, right? <laughs> yes, we are friends. Well, of course. <laughs> yes. I, you know, beautiful, beautiful relationships do bloom out of this. Mm-hmm. And that's the approach that I really want to bring to every intuitive business owner who listens to this right now because there are some approaches when it comes to podcast guesting that it's very much about how many interviews you can get on and I understand why that is appealing because it's like okay more interviews equals more authority equals more people to you know to reach and more audiences etc I do understand that And what I'm sharing with you is that while that's true, I encourage you to really look at who you're truly aligned with because every single person whose podcast you guest on, you are telling your audience that you advocate for them. So if you're advocating for someone who can directly or indirectly cause harm to your audience, that really breaks the trust that your audience has in you. So the reason why I teach people how to book themselves on podcasts is because there is a degree of self-advocacy and representation that you can convey in your communication through your pitch, where it actually feels safe for you to show up in those spaces because you're choosing who you're showing up for, who you're showing up with, and who you're advocating for. Wow. Wow. It's not the information I expected to get. And I absolutely (laughs) love everything that you said. And I'm so grateful for the education about podcasts and being an advocate for others as well and safety. Yes. And so all of this podcast guesting education that I provide, it is from the fact that I, back in the summer of 2019, I did personally pitch 101 podcasters in 30 days. And <laughs> literal jaw drop moment. Um, and oh my goodness, my jaw's back together now. <laughs> you literally opened like jaw drop. <laughs> I did like sixteen in two weeks one time, and I in between work, and I thought, oh my gosh, this was a lot. So a hundred and one in how many days? Thirty. Holy diesel, diesel, that's a lot. (laughs) (laughs) It is a lot. And I actually do want to backtrack on that for a second. But yes, it's a huge challenge. Um, It's something that I talk about a lot on podcasts. However, I always say, don't do it. (laughs) And the reason why is because while I actually succeeded in having a 33% booking rate, which is phenomenal in the PR world, I will tell you what I didn't take into account at the time was my capacity. So I definitely overexerted myself. And there was a time, it was two months where I actually didn't have enough time to focus on client work because I was doing so many interviews. So that alone is unsustainable for me, Mm -hmm. maybe for you as well. And the approach that I teach now is I start with that story to know or rather to share that I know what I'm doing because I've done a lot of it in the trenches. But the gift that I'll share with you in just a second, it actually validates what I've learned because every podcaster who I've had the great opportunity to get to know and to um, be on their shows, 
I asked them, why did you say yes to my pitch? And they very generously shared and the, the consensus of like these, their answers, I've distilled it into my proven practice now. And that is what I basically teach. So it's validated in many ways. It's quadruple validated, my framework. Yes, I've done it. I've taught people how to do it for themselves. I've done it for other people. And I've also I've had it validated by other podcasters. It's exactly what they want. <laughs> and that's why I'm so proud to do this work right now because it's really em- empowering to be able to do this skill for yourself. And granted, there will be a time or maybe the time right now in your business where you're too busy to do it yourself. It's very important to know how it works before you outsource it. Mm, that's really good. Any tidbits from there, from that point? <laughs> <laughs> I'm like hanging on the edge of my seat. <laughs> so all I ask for anybody who's looking to potentially outsource this, ask for 100% transparency. And that means not only should you be told who you're getting pitched to, see the pitches. Mm. And I actually know now um, a lot of agencies don't. They show you who you're p- they're pitching you to, but they won't show how they're pitching you. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that how is extremely important because it's often your first impression that you're making on someone. And if that doesn't go right, then it really impacts negatively on your chances on a future collaboration. Ooh, I never even thought about that. And I I did hire somebody for a small amount of time. That's really an important thing. You don't know how they represented you. Exactly. Mm. And so I'd much rather teach people how to represent themselves and pass that on. Like I teach people to do it for themselves and I'm actually opening up a certification program at the time of this recording to certify VAs to properly represent their clients in a way that is in alignment and it's in integrity and it's Mm. mutual consent as well. So the whole reason why I'm making the certification in the first place is because of the lack of, in my opinion, true representation of their clients. Because when I receive pictures from some, not all, some agencies, it genuinely makes me very sad and sometimes very angry actually because I think to myself your client your client trusted you to represent them mm-hmm. and is this how you're choosing it mm-hmm. and it makes me very sad because I'm sure that they're amazing these guests I really do they do amazing things mm-hmm. but the way that their value is being conveyed is not landing yes yes I understand I I felt that that happened to me so I, I know I, I hired a few different agencies and I can support what you're saying is, you know, it was like two and a half months before I even got my pitch and it was completely off. And I thought, well, you know, sometimes when you do have an interview and then you wait two and a half months to potentially pull it back out to do, there was, it was just, there were so many missing parts. We literally couldn't use my pitch. It didn't reflect me. So it's a very, a true statement what you're saying. Sorry, that happened to you. You know, it's the in business. We're just learning every day. So I, I want to stay with this thread because you're saying that this is certification and you're training VAs. So somebody would want, like, you know, I have 
I have VAs and I have a business. And so if somebody would want to get this <laughs> information or to hire you, however you, that you do your work, can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. Thank so you. if you're a CEO and you'd love to guest on a line podcast, but you don't necessarily have the time to do it for yourself, but you want to keep it in-house with your VAs, you actually give a damn about how you're showing up, I invite you to check out my Pitch With Purpose certification where I will take great care of your VA or your representative, your marketing assistant, whoever is, could be doing the certification for you. Um, and I will train them extremely well, not only how to pitch you on a line podcast, but how to help you set up the strategy beforehand so it makes that podcast worth it, how to write in your voice so that way actually feels like it's you and it doesn't feel like a bait and switch when you when you speak to the interviewer it's like oh you're you sound so different from your pitch like that that won't happen if you're if your VA is taught how to write in your voice and also how to prepare you for the interview and also when the interview is like how to really distribute it so that way it you know you do your part in being a wonderful guest and also just you know, increasing your reach by doing so. So if anyone who's listening is interested in that, I've opened the doors to the application process. You can go to makeasang.com forward slash certification. And I'm taking up to 30 students for this program. And I would love to see if this is a good fit for you. And yeah, so I'm just going to pause there for a second. <laughs> yeah, so... I love everything that you said, like a line podcast, make sure that you're making this effort your worth, right? Because it's, it's a big financial investment to have a podcast. There's a hosting platform. So I, I figure every podcast probably costs me about $150 until I edit it, until I pay for Blueberry to put my podcast on all those things that we do. And then I like how you said prep for the interview, how to be a wonderful guest and how to distribute it, how to put it out there. So that's really important. Now say it again, where that they could get this information. You're taking yeah. 30 people, 30 people. Yes, 30 people. And I think I'm honestly not saying this for the, the whole scarcity thing, but I actually genuinely feel that this is, I'm 95% sure this is the first and only time I'm going to run this certification. And the reason for it is because it's work that is required in this space. Absolutely. But with the trajectory of my my sustainable visibility work in the future, especially adding on psychotherapeutic counseling, I don't see it as a huge part of my future vision. But it is it's kind of like I want to set a very strong standard in almost the golden, no, not almost, the golden standard in the podcast guesting industry. And I want at least 30 people to be certified in this work that I can support and advocate for because sometimes I still get people asking, oh, do you pitch podcasts? And I'm like, no, but I can recommend you to someone now because I can't do that with 100% confidence right now. But I can do that when I've trained someone and they passed my exam because my, my exam is going to be pretty strong. <laughs> <laughs> <Ooh>. <laughs> yes. Um, so I may be 
sweet sometimes, but when it comes to podcast guesting and the standards, I I can be pretty hard. <laughs> Good. I mean, I think that's what we want. We want to learn. We want to grow. We want to get our message out to the world. And once we do make the decision, I think to be visible, at least I can speak for myself. Once I be, made the decision, I just, you know, I just like, put myself out there and started a podcast and wrote a book. And, you know, so I kind of have to laugh at myself all those years staying hidden. And then all of a sudden it's like, when I put myself out there, I really do it. And I imagine that that's what you help people to do. So thank you for that. You're welcome. Thank you for letting me talk about it. <laughs> this has been such a great interview. And is there anything else that you either wanted to say that I didn't ask you or um, was there any other free gifts that you had that maybe you wanted to share? Yes, absolutely. Applications for the certification, they do close on the 30th of July. So it actually starts August the 3rd. That's when the certification training actually begins. So if anyone is interested in sending an application, um, if you're the CEO, you still fill out the application and you still sign the contract, but there will just be an additional um, agreement you know, for your VA. But if it's your VI directly, then they can also send the application. It works both ways. So it does close on the 30th of July. So if you would like to be considered or you'd like your VA to be considered for this, please just send your application as soon as, because I would love to, especially from your audience, Candice, like an intuitive business owners are my people. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I'd absolutely love to um, call in those people who are ready to do the work in this way. So that's just a note on that. And also I do have a free gift for someone who might just want to start pitching podcasts for themselves and how to actually do it in a way that is going to align with how podcasters actually want it. So I have this free resource. It's called Be Our Podcast Guest and you can get it at makeafang.com forward slash 25 experts. And it's basically where I've interviewed 25 podcasters with this one question. It is what is one out-of-the-box piece of advice that you'd like to share with someone who's looking to put themselves on podcasts? And they share absolute gold. <laughs> they are literally like 25 pathways to, to guest on their podcast, basically. <laughs> and I did that because I really want to show what podcasters actually want. So everything that I'm sharing today and what I'm doing in my, my certification training, my workshop series, all of it, is actually validated by these podcasters and beyond. And I wanted you to hear it directly from them. So again, you can go to makeafang.com forward slash 25 experts and you'll be able to get that pussy inside of your inbox. <laughs> oh my goodness. Thank you so much for that lovely gift. And um, that will be in the notes. Uh, so you'll be able to capture those if you listen to this podcast. We'll make sure that we have those in the notes as well. So such an honor. It, I, I hate saying goodbye. This is always such I a- I know. <laughs> She's on the other side of the world and we voxer each other, but this is a special day that we get to be together. And this is so special for me and um, just the kindness of care that you offer others uh, and your gentleness and sweetness, but strength and bravery of overcoming fear and trauma. So I just wanted to thank you so much for all that you are, for all that you offer to the world and all that you're meant to be yet and beyond. Oh, I feel like I just need to hold up a mirror and say that. <laughs> that's exactly how I feel about you. Thank you so, so much for inviting me 
in to have this beautiful conversation that I've never had this extensively, especially into the LGBTQIA plus lens. <laughs> so I appreciate you um, holding what I believe to be a very safe space. So thank you so much for having me. And thank you so much. I have goosebumps literally <laughs> over. Just you always light up my heart. So thank you. And not the love you. I love you too. And we are closing. Thank you all. Thank you for tuning into this episode. I hope that you feel more connected to your power within and that you take action from the guidance here today. For more information, please head to CandiceHaza.com where you will find more resources to help you and your business grow to the next level.